Welcome to the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act, and operate. As always, if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, a five-star review would be appreciated. And if you're watching this on YouTube and you get any form of value at any point while you're watching, please be sure to smash that like button, comment, share, and subscribe. As always, fantastic guests that we've got on today. Chris, it's great to see you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to be on this uh, podcast. That's to say, it's fantastic to have you here. As many people may actually know out there, Chris and I work together. So Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and some of your career highlights in about two minutes or less. Yeah, definitely. Where do I, you know, I've been thinking about that actually on my, I've listened to a few of your podcasts. And so thinking about that on my way here. Yeah, to sum it up, I'm a sales engineer or a solutions architect. I've been doing this for roughly around seven years, I think, somewhere around there. I've been in tech sales for a very long time, over a decade, working specifically in the security space. I think some of the highlights actually is actually moving. You know, I'm an American. I've been living in England for the last three years. And so it's just been kind of an awesome experience to to do tech sales over in the West Coast of the US and then move over to England and see how that, you know, difference is. That's awesome. And we yeah. absolutely have to peel back the, the layers of that, Chris. So maybe let's actually start there. So, you know, let's go back maybe to the, the earlier parts of your career over in the US. Help us understand a bit more about how you actually got into engineering as a whole, maybe a bit more about your background and what that experience was like over in the States. Yeah, definitely. It's quite an interesting background. And I think sales is always kind of, at least tech sales, I don't know that there's a ton of people that set out to do it. It's sometimes just just something you kind of, that falls in your lap. And that happened to me. So, you know, kind of briefly, like I started out when I was at university, I went to originally actually wanted to be a, a firefighter paramedic. I remember sitting in a class and really highly competitive. And one of the teachers was, you know, was going through my first year was like, this is you know, only three of you in this class of 60 are going to make it in. And I was like, okay, it's not for me. So I was going, you know, back to the drawing board. I was going to university, did a business degree and actually wanted to be an accountant. At the same time, I was working, you know, retail job when I was at uni and I loved it. Like I was selling computers. I was like fixing and repairing computers. I've always been kind of technical. You know, my dad and I, you know, when we were really, when I was really young, we'd always play around with computers and stuff like that. So really enjoyed it, you know, speeding things up. As I was going through my accounting, you know, kind of tests and certifications, I had a friend who was working for Google as a contractor. And it was really as Google was building out like technical support for their products in like the Nexus 7, like this is about a decade ago, but Nexus 7, Nexus 4. And he was like, hey, I think you'd be great for that. And so he got my foot in the door and it was, it was awesome. Like, you know, being a contractor for Google was amazing. I saw it as a, as a, an opportunity to learn a bunch of of other things. And once you kind of get your foot in the door with an organization like that, you know, it really opens up a lot of other opportunities. Now, building out call centers and things like that wasn't really my passion. You know, I really enjoyed kind of the the technical aspect of it and helping people. And so as my contract was coming up to an end, I decided to start looking around and I fell in love with this company called OpenDNS. And actually one of the recruiters reached out to me it was one of those things of like, they could have been selling anything, really. I would have uh, just said yes, because I love the leadership. I love the management. So I, I took on a technical support role. And that's really kind of where things started to excel for me. So technical support role. And then, 
you know, it's always kind of a jumping off point. You know, where do you want to go from technical support? I knew that wasn't the end game for me. I was still trying to figure out where I wanted to go, but I decided at that time to not do accounting. And I just wanted to pursue really, you know, technical support and kind of see where this thing takes me. Then from there, we went to, I, I basically went through the ranks, you know, became a technical trainer. At that time, OpenDNS got acquired by Cisco, which was a really, you know, kind of exciting time. And I was, I was training a lot of the sales engineers. So for those that don't know what a sales engineer is, you're kind of, you're the technical support really for that RSM, really providing any guidance and, and technical value in that, that deal process. So. I was training a lot of the folks on the, the technical aspect of the product. And I was, you know, I was like, I can, I can do that. Like, that's something I think is a little bit more keen to, to, to my nature and my personality. And so that's where I started. You know, I basically went to someone and said, you know, my manager at the time and said, hey, I think I want to be a sales engineer. He's like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, let's go ahead and do that. And so he moved me right over. And then, and then it just took off from there. So really long backstory <laughs> to get to where I am now. But I think I think it's really important because, you know, not everyone has a set career path. And I think no one really sets out to be a sales engineer. There's not really a, a training program to be that. And, and you typically find folks that have a technical support background or even sometimes as business development reps or sales development reps. Like sometimes they, I've seen them transition into a sales engineering role but bringing it back to your question on, you know, what brought me over here at a point in time around 2018, I was really thinking what I wanted to do next in my career. And I wanted to potentially, you know, look at a different technology or a different, different organization. You know, you had a, a guest on that was at Cisco, I think for 12 years. And I, as much as Cisco is great, I decided that, you know, I didn't, it wasn't the end game for me. So at that time, I went to my manager. I've, I've had the privilege of having really great managers. And I was like, hey, I think I want to move abroad. And he was like, okay, like, let's, let's make it happen. And I think like three months later, I was moving over. Great story, Chris. There's <laughs> a, a lot to unpack in that for sure. One of the things I wanted to get your initial perspective, and I feel it's relevant based on that backstory, is that we often talk as salespeople about our top-tier sales talent born or built ultimately. Now, you spent a long time now as a sales engineer. You, you've seen a lot throughout all of that time. And you've spoken a lot about being in technical roles, even support early in your career. So the question through all of that is, do you feel that top tier sales engineers are actually born that way? Is there something inherent early or actually is it something that is built over time? That's a great question. And, and what I can say about top tier sales engineers, and I've worked with a lot of them, and actually, you know, it's no secret, obviously, I work with you at Lacework. I've, we have some really good sales engineers. And I think the sales engineers that I've worked with that are, you know, really kind of at that elite level can really drive the business value. You can be as technical as you want. You can come with that technical background. But if you can't really drive the business value and really sp be able to speak to a C-level executive and then also, you know, an application engineer, it's going to be really tough. So. I've also found that really good sales engineers stick to kind of a framework of, of within the boundary of what the product actually can do. Because it's, it's really inherent, you know, customers will have their set of criteria, the, the company will have their set of, you know, what the product can do. 
there's a balance of being able to bridge what the customer wants and what the product can do itself. But sometimes it can go outside, you know, you're creating this button, you're putting this wire over here, right? And then that actually can lead to customer dissatisfaction later on the road, down the road, because it's quite custom and the things that we're doing. So I think knowing your limits and, you know, framing that around there. So, so hopefully I answered that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd love to double tap though on with all of that, super, super helpful in understanding a bit more about, I say, what makes an effective sales engineer. How much of that do you think is almost inherent or, or understood or identified really at the beginning, right? And so when we talk about born versus built, I want to know when you think about yourself in your own career, do you just feel inherently this, this technical aptitude that you have was something that you just showed from very, very early and you just continue to mature it over time? Or did you feel that it was slightly more different to that? You almost fell into it. It was something that you then started to build more success in and then actually realize, actually, this is the, the career for me. I think from my perspective, it was something that I really love just being a specialist. Like I love knowing something a little bit more than the next person or having to kind of cram before a meeting with someone. And, you know, I love learning technology. I don't think I was born with like a technical aptitude and kind of matured it. I think at the heart of it for me, it was really being in a, a supporting role, a specialization. And actually, I think going back to university when I was working at a retail job, I was the only person selling Apple products at that time. And I really loved, we had like a dedicated section. Like I loved being the go-to person. I loved, you know, no, no one else at the tech repair really wanted to touch the Apple products. And so I loved being that person that, that would do it. And I think that translates a lot to why I like being a sales engineer, because I get to be in a supportive role. I get to know that product at the ins and outs of it. And I love some of the best moments I've had as a sales engineer is like when you're down to the wire and you get something to work on a technical level and you get that deal over the line. It's just a great feeling. And absolutely. And uh, I think that's a feeling that talks a little bit to really what a great partnership can look like between a salesperson and actually the, the, the sales engineer that they're aligned to is when there's that unified view around wanting to drive the deal, right? Getting passionate about it. And when I've seen, you know, fantastic parents in that sense, it's when also the, the sales engineer has a great acute awareness of what it takes to drive and execute a deal. And I know we've had a lot of conversations like this off camera, but let's get a, a bit more specific. So for you, Chris, what are some of the key characteristics and key traits that form a part of just a great account executive and sales engineer pairing? Yes, I've had the the opportunity to work with a lot of great RSMs and account managers over my many years. I've also worked with some difficult ones, I'll say. I think the best form of relationship between an AM and an SE is really one of trust in building it out. And that, you know, from my end, it's consistency from both parties, right? Showing up on time, consistent level of kind of effort into a, a specific deal, communication. One of the things that I really enjoy that we do at least work is before, you know, a meeting or after a meeting, we set time and you're always really good about, hey, what do you think, Chris? Like where 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 do you think we should go next in this in the in the cycle, right? Not just the technical aspect. And you really take that feedback and most of the time we're up we're aligned, so it's actually, you know, makes it pretty easy. But 
where that relationship can fall apart, you know, pretty quickly is where RSMs really, you know, ultimately a sales engineering role is a supporting role for that RSM, right? It's ultimately the RSM that holds that number, right? And and has a lot of that risk. Not that the SE does not at all. Where the RSM, you know, treats that that person, that SE, as really kind of a supporting role and like, hey, do this, hey, do that. And and there's been many times in, in my career, specifically, you know, working at larger organizations where it's kind of like, hey, we're going to do this, this RFI, you know, request for information or request for purchase, um, which are just really long sheets of questions, right? We're going to do this, but, you know, we haven't met with a customer yet. We don't know exactly what's driving this. We don't know what competition might have influenced this, but we're going to go ahead and I'm going to have, you know, you spend two days doing this, this, this sheet that ultimately usually never pans out. And so I think that can create kind of a little bit of discourse between that relationship. But it's also someone that you wouldn't mind hanging out with outside of work, I find, you know, just just realistically in kind of a friendship in, in that. So back when we were traveling quite a bit, I used to travel with one of my, my RSMs quite a bit at the time. So it's always nice to you know be traveling with someone you, you get along with too. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot to be said, Chris, in just that word partnership, right? You, you spoke about examples of when it maybe feels a bit like one-way traffic when you've got an account executive maybe almost trying to tell their engineer what to do or, or maybe a bit more of a pointed finger. The reality is, is, is this a partnership? And just to make sure we haven't lost anyone with some of these acronyms, when we say RSM, we're talking about regional sales manager or account executive. And when we use the term SE sales engineer, So I think this is all really, really helpful, Chris. I'd like to kind of go a step further in in understanding a bit more about your observations of some of those elite level sales performers. You said that you've had the, the fortune of working with many and collaborating with many. When you look at them specifically in the way that they navigate and articulate their, their deals, what are some of the things that you've seen that you felt have made those salespeople special? That's a great question. I've worked with quite a few really good RSMs. I always feel that they have a hunger, basically, to to really kind of want to win that deal. There are times within organizations where you do come across the account manager that, you know, isn't really hungry. Like, let me peel that back a little bit, as you like to say. I think with the, the RSMs that are really at the elite level, it's all about consistency with them. They're constantly looking and taking feedback too as well. Like one of the things that I, you know, really enjoy working with you is that you take feedback as as well too. So, you know, after the calls that we have, have a passion, I think kind of for the sales cycle itself. So, you know, really kind of the ins and outs of what we're doing within that, you know, what point we're in the process. And then also, you know, building out a rapport with the other stakeholders within the company itself. So that could be with product management, could be with support, the customer success. I've worked with some RSMs or I've known of some RSMs where they they, they can burn bridges within other stakeholders. And then so it can turn those parts of the business to not want to necessarily help that RSM. So it's a balance of a lot of things, but it's really about consistency. I think having a little bit of a passion for sales and ultimately you know, really understanding the customer's problem and not trying to, you know, 
stuff a product down that really understanding what is the customer saying to us and we see that all the time there's a lot of times where you know we do a discovery call and maybe the customer is actually looking for this very specific thing now we want to understand what's really driving that you know specific need and maybe we can enlighten them on other ways to do certain things but yeah it's just really you know putting that customer first and really trying to understand and not just try to sell them something Absolutely. There's uh, a lot of gems in that, Chris, indeed. So we've got a lot of salespeople that, of course, listen to this podcast. And so it'd be great to get your perspective on when you think of a sales cycle end to end, what parts of it you really feel that the sales engineer actually owns and really should be wrapping their arms around versus the other aspects that maybe a bit more expectation should be on the uh, RSM, as you say, themselves. In my opinion, I think the SE, the sales engineer, solutions architect, solutions engineer, you know, like there's just tons of different names. That's one of the, the, the confusing things I think about my role. But I feel that they should be involved throughout the whole process. And I, I think that's one of the things that, at Lacework that we do really well. It's, it's one of the things, you know, bringing it back to your last question of what makes a, a great RS regional sales manager is really including that sales engineer throughout the whole process and providing feedback, right? But ultimately, the the sales engineer is focused on building technical champions. So that could be in kind of after you qualify the opportunity, going into things like a, you know, a technical workshop and, and really trying to figure out what you're trying to achieve with that customer. And ultimately, the proof of value or proof of concept, you know, through and throughout. But I don't think there's a specific stage where the the sales engineer really shouldn't have a say or listen in, right? But ultimately, it's the the proof of value that that really comes down to to the sales engineer. And one of the things that you know I think is said has been said on the the podcast before, and I know that we say it at least work is really you know when as a team you know lo- never lose by yourself. I think I'm saying that paraphrasing, right? It's really kind of a team effort, right? So in all the different supporting roles that you know we're, we're looking to to really kind of get that deal over the line. Absolutely. All, all makes a ton of sense. And I agree. I think one of the observations I've had of, of great sales engineers or, or people within those types of roles is they have a really unique ability to sometimes make complex topics really simple. And we often talk about even as sellers, right? How do we sometimes take these things and really distill them down to the the most important and most impactful areas. I think sales engineers almost sometimes have to take that to an even level three, right? Because you're looking at really complex problems or potentially really complex tools and solutions and you need to really be able to distill them down so that whether you're talking to a CEO or or anyone in the organization you can help them start to understand how this the technical aspects of this platform or solution really drives value for that organization so my question to you through all of that is is one do you agree with that statement and two, what, what do you think is really the art behind making the complex simple? So one of the things, you know, kind of going back to my story, which I think is quite interesting in that I had these kind of technical jobs, but they weren't, I wasn't coding, at, you know, like, and, and even today, I don't code that much, you know. So for me, you know, just a reminder that I have an accounting background, a business background, right? So I didn't go to school for like computer science or anything like that. So for me, getting into these kind of technical conversations, like I had to put a lot of extra effort in just to get things down and understand them. 
So one of the things that I think has really worked out for me is being able to deliver those types of messages to C-levels, you know, executives that may not be technical, because I don't necessarily have a technical background. I guess you can argue that I do now, but at the time I really had to learn things. And so I could only put things in perspective of what I knew before, you know. And so I remember, you know, early on being very nervous about going into these technical conversations, but I always felt more comfortable explaining these technical topics actually to the C-levels than I did at the engineers because I, I knew the value and I knew what the ultimate goal of that was. I think it's really important and really good SEs can distill that down and they know their audience, right? So I actually find the most difficult you know, sales calls to be on are really when you have a bunch of engineers on the customer side and then you also have the executives or the leadership on. Because it sometimes can be two different audiences that you're, you're speaking to. So you always have to read the room and ultimately understand what's driving the questions and what they're looking for. Because a feature or a functionality is just a, a subset of what might be driving the whole thing there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I've had the fortune of being able to witness with you, Chris, is really seeing you lean into that that sales mindset. You know, we loosely touched on this earlier, and I think you've alluded to it in your answer just there. I've really been able to witness, you know, your level be upped by really leaning into sales process, understanding actually the, the intricacies of how a deal's navigated through the lens of, of a seller. And I really think it adds credence to the word sales engineer, right? Instead of uh, just engineer. Do you feel that when you sometimes maybe observe, of course, no names mentioned, but just the scene a little bit wider, maybe observations of other engineers that maybe you think still have some work to do. Do you feel one of the areas is actually them leaning into the sales side to make sure that they can one, get alignment with their seller? but also get a, a slightly better uh, ability to navigate a deal as they're having some of those C-level conversations as well. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I think a great sales engineer is one that can really balance, you know, the, the line of the sales process and the technical aspect of it. And where I see sales engineers fall is just really just being, you can be a great technical person. You can be great in technical support, but sometimes that doesn't translate into to sales at all. And one of the, the things that I remember early on, actually, as I made a transition, I was learning, you know, the sales role, transitioning out of a technical support role, a technical support engineer, was early on. And I remember this was, it was almost a discovery call that we have. It's actually with an art regional sales manager that that's at Lacework. I won't name her, but at the previous company we worked at, she's great. I remember having the conversation on a call and it got a little technical and they had mentioned, hey, we have this type of environment. In the technical support role, what I had, you know, previously learned is sometimes in sales, things will happen and uh, you know, things will be said and then it gets kind of thrown over to the support side once they become a customer and then it's kind of like, you know, figure it out. So my mindset at that time was oh, I need to call this out early so that way we can adjust this. That way, you know, when they become a customer, like things are all good. So I didn't really have that the sales methodology down because the first conversation that we had, there was a thing that came up and I basically called that out on the call. I was like, oh, we don't support that today. And then I remember, and this is with, I think their CIO on the call. And I'll never forget, you know, this regional sales manager speaking to me 
afterwards and definitely let me know that I was in the wrong of of saying it that early in the sales process because it's like this is a, a C level executive. We're trying to have a conversation around does our product fit? Can it really solve what they're looking to, you know, that technical thing that it doesn't work with? That will come out later in the in the sales process. So back to your question around the SEs that I think really excel, can you learn that process? And it, it comes over time. I think one of the things like I was just actually talking to my fiance, Kerwin, about this, like how do you get into a sales engineering role? And there's not really a direct career path for it, right? You can go, you can start on the sales side and then move over to the technical side, or you can start on the technical side and then move over to the sales, but there's nothing that covers both. And so sometimes you have to learn one or the other, but typically it's starting at the technical side and then moving into the, the sales side. Got it. It's fascinating because when I look at the scene, I'm seeing a lot more crossover now, right? I'm seeing a lot more people either moving from sales engineer roles into direct selling roles or vice versa, right? Just depending on maybe where they're starting to feel a little bit more of a fit or or a bit more comfort as they start to get in these companies and, and start to build, scale and grow. Talking about building and, and scaling organizations, as, as everyone knows, we're, we're moving at pace here within Lacework. And one of the things I'm curious to get your stance on is you spent a number of years at Cisco, right? Much larger organization. You're now, I think it's fair to say, experiencing something a little bit different, right? Smaller business going at an absolute lightning pace. So what does that experience look like within your world, Chris, as you know, being a sales engineer, coming out of the confines of a much larger enterprise, and then shifting gears into a younger more dynamic, faster growing business at this particular stage. What's that experience like? Yeah, it's been a great experience. And it's ultimately what I I really wanted to get back in. And so, you know, going back to the company that I worked for, OpenDNS, who I have this just massive affinity for, it was a great organization. And, and you know, we got acquired in 2015. I always wanted to go back into the startup world because I wanted to pick up you know, where I think OpenDNS left off before the exit, you know, into into Cisco. And early on, I knew folks that had moved over to Lacework and and had a really exciting product. And I knew that, you know, there was a funding round that that happened back in early 2021. So it gained a little bit of attention. But working, so that's, you know, part of the reason that I made the transition over into, you know, Lacework specifically, kind of looking at a few different organizations. I enjoyed Cisco tremendously and it, it paved the way for me to be over here and actually be speaking to you right now, which is really nice. I learned a lot. There's really good leaders in there. But one of the things that I really missed about you know, working in a smaller organization is having a lot more skin in the game, right? You're competing with these account managers. So within Cisco, it's made up of a general account manager that is, you know, selling hundreds of products depending on what the customer needs, right? Then you have subdivisions within that organ, you know, within Cisco that data center equipment or security. So you're you're actually and, and the list goes on, there's about five main categories. So you're actually competing for mindshare with that account manager to talk to that customer. So one of the things that I didn't really care for, I think was having to really sell internally. So you're selling, you're trying to sell the, ultimately I'm trying to sell to a customer. I'm trying to, you know, work out what they need, but I'm, I'm also trying to sell into that account manager to, and partners, right. To get their mind shared so that I can get one-on-one with that customer. So I think 
you know, working in that type of environment is great. You learn a lot of different things. But ultimately, I wanted to go back to a fast-paced, you know, highly dynamic organization. And we've seen that within within Lacework where we've gone, you know, from a couple hundred employees to, you know, over, I think we're probably over a thousand now, which is really exciting. And so, you know, really wanting to work with great SEs. And, and I, you know, I'm not just saying that because I work for this organization. You know, when I interviewed and, and you know, s- some of the specific SEs that we have, like, I want to work with them. Like, I want to learn from them. And I think ultimately, not that you asked this question, what makes a great SE team, a sales engineering team is actually a really dynamic one. And so I think actually one of the reasons that I was hired was actually because of my sales acumen. I may not be the most technical sales engineer, but I feel like I have a pretty good knack from experiences, you know, in the sales process itself. We we also have, you know, folks that have worked in, I'm going to use some acronyms here, but the the DevOps world have been developers. We've had, you know, folks that work in the security space. So we can all lean on each other when we need help within that sales process. So yeah, that's a, a long-winded explanation. Of- <laughs> it all makes a, makes a ton of sense. Chris, I'm going to zoom out a very little bit here. Knowing that you've got this international experience now, right? Really exciting. Having come from the US, now being in London. Talk to us a bit about how that experience has played a role on your actual career, right? Whether you've seen any tactical improvements in, in, in your actual role, whether it's just changed your perspective in certain ways that you think has been advantageous. Just unpack that for us. Definitely. For me, it's changed my career quite tremendously. And the, the reason I say that is because, you know, part of the reason that I, I took the job overseas was that, yes, it was an opportunity to move and live in a different country and get to experience, you know, different, a different culture, different, you know, different people. But it also was a promotion into working with enterprise, you know, and so these large banks and large pharmaceutical companies. And I wanted that experience, you know, my experience within as a, as a field sales engineer, which is, you know, basically you're, you're traveling on site and visiting customers was something called, you know, I worked with, they, they call it SLED within Cisco. It's, it's public sector which is a great opportunity working with higher education, so universities, working with local government. It was really great. But I knew for me, as being a well-rounded sales engineer, I wanted to work with larger organizations and get a feel of what that would be like. So in moving into, you know, over to London, I also had the opportunity to work with larger organizations. And, you know, in terms of, of my career, it really helps me understand the different stakeholders that you have within organizations on the sales side. There's multiple, you know, in working with smaller organizations, you might talk to two or three people that can get things done on the technical side. But when you're working in these larger, you know, banks, they have a specific person that does that, you know, that might, you know, they might have like a team of five people that work on VPNs, so virtual private networks. They might have a specific person. So you have you're having to 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 get multiple stakeholders bought in within that. And you know, in terms of like the culture, I think what I find the biggest difference for me is actually it was just like some of the vocabulary coming over. <laughs> like I remember being in a meeting and someone, you know, someone was like, hey, look, like, let's plan another date to have an, an another proof of value check-in. And they're like, oh, let's check your diary. And I was like, diary? Like, what 
my diary doesn't have anything to do with this, you know, but just a bunch of little things, a calendar, as we say in the US. But there's really not too much different, I think. I found that, you know, working in public sector, I found that folks are, you know, they're longer sales cycles. Usually people buy, you know, once a year or when their budgets are released. I found that people are a little bit more direct, you know, with, you kind of knew if you were going to win that deal because you've spent a lot of time with them and they're longer kind of sales cycles. Within enterprise, it's a tough, it's a tough gig, right? It's a long, that's also a really long sales cycle. And sometimes, you know, you don't know if, where you're at in it. And that's kind of by design on, you know, you don't know where you're at in terms of the competition. You don't know. So there's a lot of time invested. So I, I quite enjoy, you know, being over in London. I love traveling in, in the UK now that things are starting to open up a little bit. But hopefully that answers your question in kind of a long roundabout way. It does. It's really fascinating. I always find, right, just hearing about experiences internationally. One of the previous guests we had here uh, came over from New York and we were just talking a little bit about just the pace and the intensity of New York and actually how that particular guest found London a little bit tamer. And so always really curious to just get that broader perspective, right, because it's a, it's a big move. But it's interesting to hear that culturally, you know, there's still a lot of the same kind of facets behind ultimately what's led you to be successful in your role, which is brilliant. On that note, Chris, if you were to kind of press the reset button and you were back at day one when you were a senior sales engineer, however many years ago now, is there anything you'd do differently with the hindsight that you now have? to put yourself in a position where you could be elite from day one. I'm sure there's been many, many learnings that if you could go and talk to that Chris again, you'd potentially share with them from day one. I think there's, there's always things that you'll go back and change, right? You had one guest on here that kind of was talking about, I think his name was Freddie, and, and he uh, was talking about how, you know, kind of failing and learning from those. And I'm a true believer in that. So, you know, going back and changing that, I don't know that I would be where I'm at today. I think... A lot of it comes to being humble. Ego can be a killer of a lot of things. And you do get to a certain point, you know, maybe you've closed a few deals. Maybe you're really bought into the, the process or the, the product of, of what you're, you're ultimately selling. And sometimes that can actually hurt you. And I think one of the things that, you know, and thinking back to OpenDNS, I didn't understand why, I won't go into the technical aspects of it, I didn't understand why people wouldn't want to add this extra blanket of security within the organization. And so I remember I would almost kind of, fight is a strong word, but I would almost, not belittle, but that sounds really bad, but I would make my argument to someone who maybe didn't see things the right way. And in some, you get this all the time in technical sales. We call them detractors or people that, you know, want to build something open source. You know, you might be selling them a product and they're like, hey, I can build this myself. Like, it'll just, you know, take me time. And it's like, okay, well, I guess you technically could. But, you know, we've been building this thing for, you know, eight years. We've spent millions of dollars on it. So if you can do that same thing, kudos to you, but it's gonna it's not as easy as you you would think. And so when when you try to get your point across to someone that is is saying that's saying that they can do it, you can come across as like egotistic a little bit. And I remember kind of learning that early on in my 
and my sales engineering role of like, you know, it's okay, you know, to foster different opinions on how to do things. And ultimately, I'm not going to change this person's mind unless they, there's certain people within organizations that unless they think of that thing, they, they're, not, they're not bought into it. And it happens all the time in universities. I don't know if anybody listening to the podcast has worked for universities because universities, they build a lot of the technology and a lot of the things. So, so people think I can just do this thing. And so, you know, back to your question around things that I would learn earlier on, I think setting my ego aside and, and really fostering and knowing when to speak and when not to speak, that really comes with experience. And one of the things that I, I'm learning now is, especially as I'm getting, you know, slightly older, is that mental and physical health is really important for longevity, right? And now we've had, when I was traveling quite a bit, you know, pre, pre-pandemic, you know, you're traveling, not really eating that well, like, I don't sleep in hotels that well. But getting a routine is really, really important. And that even goes from working from home now, you know, because a lot of the time you're, you're sitting at home and then maybe you're doing something later at home. So you don't have that regimen. And it's really, really important to, to have a routine, get physical exercise. And I think that plays into my day to day now. And so those are things that I would have done, you know, earlier on. I definitely feel it now that I'm getting a little bit older, like, like my body just, you know, especially like for outings with partners and things like that, there's always kind of within sales, it can be like, Hey, let's go to dinner. Let's go have drinks afterwards. And those can be really late nights. And I've learned just as I've gotten older, like I'm going to actually 8 8 PM is like my cutoff because I have a, I have a busy day tomorrow, you know? And so I don't want to feel the repercussions of it's, it's great to build rapport with people and stay out, but not at the sacrifice of my body and my mind. It's a fantastic point. And it's something I've become a lot more passionate about as well, Chris. I think we can both re- relate to running at 100 miles an hour sometimes, especially when you're in these hyper-growth environments. And um, as you know, I'm a massive combat sports fan, so I like to dial a lot of things back to boxing or or, or MMA. And, you know, one of the things I, I've heard some world champion fighters say is just simply with age, you know, those those additional punches, the punch resistance just, just isn't there anymore. It starts to just diminish fight by fight. I, I think in certain ways we can relate that to the, the space that we're in. You know, over time, you know, those punches feel a little bit harder and they only feel hard if you're not actually looking after yourself mentally and physically. And so something that's, I think, more important than than ever before is to ensure that people do actually take time out to make sure they look after their mindset, whether it's through meditation or things like that. Look after your physical health, whether, you know, I know you're a big fan of stretching. I'm a big fan of just getting massages, things that may sound trivial, but really can make all of the difference in how you feel. And that difference makes a, a massive difference on how you perform. When you, you feel better, when your mind's in a good place, you just execute better. That punch resistance, as we, as I like to refer to it, is just that little bit better as well. So it's a great bit of advice. And as you can see, I get quite passionate about that <laughs> subject area. Chris, this has been phenomenal and, and very insightful, even for me, being out there, a long-term seller out there in the field. So really appreciate you sharing all of these insights so far. I just have one final question for you now, Chris, which is if you were talking to anyone out there right now in their career who wants to go from good to elite, what's the one best piece of advice that you give to that person? The best piece of advice, you know, 
I would always try to work with someone who's better than you, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, I, you want to be uncomfortable, and as cliche as that sounds, like part of the reason that I I knew I wanted to leave, you know, my previous role for something like Lacework is I wanted to feel uncomfortable. I knew a little bit about cloud technology. But I really wanted to learn the sales process. I really wanted to learn that sales process. I wanted to work with really good sales engineers. And I also wanted to be out of my technical know-how because ultimately that's going to make me a better sales engineer. I'm going to be more rounded as a, you know, from a technical level, also from just a sales level. I wanted to just feel uncomfortable and, and really learn from the best. Get comfortable being uncomfortable, yes. right, Chris? <laughs> It's a great point to round off on. Is this your first podcast, Chris? Yes. Brilliant. I'm doing a great job right now of breaking a lot of records in terms of giving these virtual trophies for first ever podcast. So it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Chris, and appreciate you sharing some time and insights with us. To anyone that's been listening, I hope that you found today very, very valuable indeed. If you're watching this on YouTube, again, if you could smash that like button, comment, share and subscribe, that would be appreciated. And if you're listening on any of the podcasting platforms, a five star review would be absolutely fantastic. Again, I hope you enjoyed today and we'll see you on the next one.